Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. The episode upcoming is part two of Thriving with guest host, Keith Gorman. Keith sits down in the pod ship, takes the host's seat, and he and I have a conversation about me, my life, some of my experiences, in my case, thriving in life with some specifics on thriving with cancer. I'm grateful for Keith having stepped in. And it's also worth noting that towards the end of this second part, when we recorded the initial episode, there was some technical difficulty and the very end of the conversation got cut off. And so the sound quality on Keith's end for the last approximately 10 minutes is a little bit different. I hope you enjoy part two of ATBS Thriving with guest host Keith Gorman. Thanks for joining us. And so now it's been over three and a half years. That's correct. That you've been living with cancer and thriving in your life. That's the way it feels to me. Yeah. And you've, you've journeyed spiritually with mindfulness and physically you've journeyed. You have journeyed down to South America, down to Colombia. Uh, you have journeyed. I know that you're going to be going back to the Colorado River, down the Grand Canyon. I think that you had a great spiritual journey when you went down that not long ago. Tell us about how those experiences expand your your mind and, and helped you in this great period of uncertainty, yet you seem to have been able to approach it with a little bit more certainty. You seem to be able to demonstrate the ability to control the things that you can control and accept that there's things that you can't control and that things there will play out. Yeah, that that's so true. And, and, uh, you know, I guess because there have been so many experiences, um, far and wide, some geographically, as you mentioned, you know, all over the place and many of them right close to home, right, right inside me, that's been really a, a gift and I used to think, and you and I actually had this conversation a couple of months ago, and I think it was in the fall. And for a bunch of years, I would say to people, you know, the, the gift that cancer has given me is, an, is a lens through which to view the world. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty spectacular lens when you really try and wake up every day and, and be grateful that I got one. I get to, I get to do this today. And you know, it was after a whole bunch of, of journeying physically, spiritually, 
deep into the soul, you know, deep inner um, inquiry, and and in turn, then some spectacular and profound outward expansion. That I realized that the gift, and and it really came to me in a conversation you and I were having, and I was walking around out in the out in the yard, and I'd thought the lens was the gift, but the gift that I'd received was the opportunity to experience myself as my authentic self. And that may sound, I don't know how that sounds to anybody, but you know, we go along in our lives and we're, I think we're generally, you know, pretty authentic to ourselves. But at that point I realized that, you know, the real gift is, is the opportunity to really dig into one's self. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's spectacular, but to look out at the world and realize like, Hey, I'm going to be me and I like me and, you know, kind of fall in love with yourself. And then through that process, you then are, you know, I'm able to bring a better version of myself to the people around me and, you know, friends and experiences and, and life and, and ATBS, the podcast. And, and, you know, that was really the genesis of this project was enough people after some years of me having these experiences and, and being a, a bit of an adventurer and taking lots of guidance from many people, right? Like I didn't, I, I didn't blaze the trail. People have been doing this for ages. So authentic self, that's not a term that we necessarily always wake up to, uh, but something that you were becoming familiar with through everything that you were going about in your life at that point. And as you were pursuing these different thoughts, you then decided to pursue it by going places and talking to people. And uh, I know we've had many conversations about it. Um, please talk about how you began to explore these other areas that would become so fundamental really to your thriving in life and, and living with cancer. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you get to your, okay, authentic self. What does that mean? What, what gets you? So then I have to backtrack to, cause that conversation we had was just this fall and I've got to go back to hmm, probably go back to that Grand Canyon trip in March of 2018. And as you mentioned early on in the, in the episode here, I'm, I'm like 13 days from doing it again and 21 days on the Colorado river in the Grand Canyon. And a good friend of mine, Dave Whitey Evans out of Smithers, British Columbia, invite, he'd, he'd said to me years and years before he gets his Whitey nickname from being a whitewater rafting guide for almost 40 years. And he had said to me, Jeff, when I pull a Grand Canyon permit, I'd love to have you come along, but the one caveat is you're going to have to row your own boat. And I said, Whitey, I don't have any whitewater experience. And he said, oh, you're strong and you're, you'll, you're a good listener and a good, you're coachable, you're a good athlete and you're going to be fine. And he pulled a permit for a launch date of March, 2018. And I got the phone call in January and he said, Jeff, I got the permit and love for you to come. And ultimately I ended up doing it with my brother Forrest and Whitey wanted to row the river by himself. And we were nine boats, 16 people. And so we were two by two by two and Forrest and I 
dove into that opportunity, neither one of us having whitewater experience to speak of, lots of boating experience, so lots of water, lots of boats, which is key. And with Whitey's guidance, literally, uh, he guided us all down the Grand Canyon, and and you know that was a, a formidable challenge. And people are like, "How much experience do you have?" And I said, "I don't have you know any whitewater experience, but I know how to row a boat, and I'm familiar with moving water." And um, so while down in the Grand Canyon, in, if you haven't been, I think every anybody would say, if you ever have the opportunity, I, I say do it because it's one of the seven wonders of the world, and it, it is absolutely breathtaking and energetically spectacular and deep into the trip we'd gone through the biggest rapids and i was hanging out with a bunch of people our group and we'd bumped into another group and and one of the people in our group we were throwing the frisbee out on the out you know on the on the sand and having a blast and this person came up to me and said you know do you have any interest in dropping acid today and here i am 50 whatever 53 Hadn't done LSD since I was in my 20s, for sure, early 20s, probably. And I looked around at the place, and I looked around at the day and the people, and I thought to myself, yeah, this is the place. This is the right place to do it if you're going to do it. And and she, she looked at me and said, well, you don't have to. And I said, I know I don't have to. I accepted the offer and I asked a number who else maybe was had done, was going to do it. And she talked about some of the people and, and, you know, off we went and, you know, I dropped a half a hit of acid for the first time in a long, 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 long time. And it was spectacular. It was, it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, no one's going to come charging into your environment. Like the people that are there, are the ones that are there. And it was a real, it was, it was, that was the beginning of really going inside and deep inward exploration and also realization of outward expansion and connection to source, the universe, the multiverse, whatever you want to call it. I've done a lot of work since then. You know, that's probably where I've reacquainted with the unified field. Some people call it the Akashic field, you know, a lot of different things, but it was an eye opener for me. And I came out of there really curious about non-ordinary states of mind and the power that we have as self and and being interconnected with all. And I started doing a bunch of research and and one of the one of the books that I came across pretty early on after coming out of there was Stephen Kotler's Stealing Fire. It was my first foray into somebody writing about non-ordinary states of mind and his book is so fantastic and as you and I have talked about that's when I realized there were lots of doorways into a non-ordinary state of mind. And when you can access those places, and now I've learned a lot of different ways to do it, and I'm convinced that there are maybe infinite ways into that room, if you will, of, of expansion. And that, that book really lit my fire. And that was, I came out of there in April and I was reading and I was curious and I went to Lake Placid and I was doing some things and, Next thing I know, you know, I bump into an old ski jumping buddy, Mike Holland, and he said, hey, have you talked to Jim lately, his brother Jim, who I also know well? And I hadn't, and I did. And he started talking about having been down in Columbia, South America for some treatment that he was seeking for some things. And he said, look, if uh, he said, I can't give you any guarantees, but this guy, Francisco, that I've met down there is, is a, an electrical engineer and his sister 
was diagnosed with ovarian cancer seven years ago, and he said his prolific, pretty much genius mind to figuring out how to, how to solve the problem. And Jim said, yeah, I, I can't guarantee anything, but I can tell you that, you know, if I were you, I might go. And within two weeks, we were on a plane and he said, I'll go with you. And we went down to Columbia and I met Francisco and I didn't, I don't speak much Spanish. They don't speak a lot of English. And I put my hand, put myself a hundred percent into Francisco's hands. And Francisco was working with electromagnetic fields in the body. Correct. Yeah. So transducers and transceivers and, you know, big clunky things with wraps around your body and computer systems that he's built and his team has built and, um, you know, their laboratory, if you will, you know, like I, I was in touch with a, a mutual friend of ours at the time. And he said, Jeff, how's the clinic? Is it, is it cutting edge or is, is it, <laughs> is it state of the art is what he said. And I actually went and looked up the definition of state of the art in the dictionary. And I, I went back to him and I said, Oh yeah, it's state of the art. It's it's not it's not prepackaged like everybody in this you know many of us think of state of the art. But these guys were on the cutting edge, right, of what they're doing. And I spent 19 of 28 days that I was in Colombia with Francisco, hooked up to transducers and transceivers and measuring my negative electromagnetic field. And they were firing. You know, he was doing his thing, and sometimes I'd be there for three hours, and sometimes for seven. There was no, there were no ill effects, no negative side effects of the experience. In fact, I felt better and better and better every day. And at the end of every session, he'd measure my negative electromagnetic field. And when I went in there, it was 187. Zero is good. Actually, he makes a conversion from negative to positive. So it was 187. And, oh, zero is the goal. Well, I'll stay here as long as it takes. And when I left 28 days later, it was 15. And... It was a spectacular experience. I put my hand and put myself firmly in their hands and I look forward to going back because they're great people. I thought I'd be back there in, in a month or two when I left and, and just life has transpired to take me in different directions. But while I was there, these wonderful people in these wonderful Colombians um, really took me in and embraced me. And the first gentleman was Luis and he had picked us up at the airport and he was tied in with Francisco. And then he introduced me to their, his family and, and his wife, Sandra. And then I met Jaime Diego and Margarita who live out in on Nirvana, which is a nature reserve that's been in their family for years. And they're, you know, nurturing endangered plants and trees. And I go out there and meet them. And then I meet another wonderful gentleman named David and they just take me in. They basically it was just this incredible, warm Colombian hug. Uh, and I consider them to be my Colombian family. And somewhere along the way, we were having dinner. And, and again, I don't speak a lot of Spanish, so they're rattling on and going on. And I kept hearing, Taita, Taita. And I, I asked at one point, I said, I said what is Taita? What is Taita? And they said, oh, he's our shaman. And it took a couple of days, but I kept saying, well, I'd, I'd be interested in meeting Taita. And after a couple of days, they had been in touch with him. I had to say, look, I'm really interested in meeting him. They got in touch with him. I thought he was like across town. I was in Cali, Colombia. And turns out he was in the Punta Maya River Valley down by down in the Amazon on the border of Colombia and Ecuador, you know, a 12 hour drive away, certainly a plane flight away. And within a week he was in Cali. And 
Luis and Sandra and Jaime Diego and Margarita all knew him. Coming to see you. Correct. Right. So they said, do you, do you want him to come? We want him to come and do some things for us. They'd experienced him before. And they sent him pictures of me. They sent him my story. And he, he, we, we brought him up and he came with his wife and he came with another Taita, his, his, you know, his right-hand man. And I got to spend the better part of parts of five days with Taita, I mean, Diego, Margarita, I mean, Diego had a birthday during that time. And, but the, the, the purpose was Taita's purpose was to work with Luis and Sandra, and also to clear me of cancer. And I went through some incredible ritual and ceremony and experience that, and I really didn't know where we were headed. But again, I put myself firmly and a hundred percent in Taita's hands. And that's one of the things I guess I've learned is if you're going to do something, lean in and do it and try not to resist because it, it was unknown. And it was, you know, there were stinging nettles and poison ivy and chanting and, and lots, you know, some pretty intense stuff. And a, as I've shared with you, a, a, you know, a nicotine sauna, basically, right? They boiled nicotine in a big cauldron and, and tobacco in, in the big cauldron and then soaked towels in it. And for hours I was soaking in this, in this, these piping hot towels and, and just, you know, then you start to leave, right? That's when you, those experiences all in an effort to clean and cleanse and clear. And what we were not necessarily striving for, but that whole experience culminated with a sacred Yahe ceremony on a Saturday night that ended up Sunday morning was September 1st, 2018. And, and that was another rebirth for me. And um, maybe one day, depending I'll, on ATBS, the podcast on the website, I'll put up some pictures of what went on down there. It was, it was exceptional and I knew I was in good hands. And when I walked in the door in park city, when I came home, Savannah was here and Fiona was here and I didn't, I wasn't 10 steps in the doorway and they looked at me and said, Oh, you're different. Like you've changed. And I felt like I was clear of cancer and, and I just felt great. And it was a, it was another eye opening awakening for me. It was, it was that September 1st, 2018 was another rebirth and I've had a few. So we're hearing about some very non-traditional cancer treatment that involves LSD and nicotine saunas and shamans in Colombia that uh, travel 12 hours named Tata. Taita. Taita. I won't be surprised if I hear from Taita in the next 24 hours because he's in touch. He, he, he can feel these things. But part of your exploration has, has led you to, uh, I, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, just searching for ways to further open your mind. Agreed. And, you know, very recently you've learned about holotropic breathing. And my understanding and studying the topic a little bit and can only scratch the surface compared to what you know about it is that this is a way to access uh, a part of your mind just through breathing. And uh, obviously it's more involved and more complicated than the way I just stated it. Uh, but, you know, please 
let me know how that is is working into your program. Yeah, I've always been developing my own program. <laughs> and, I, you know, that, I think that's part of the message as well is like, we're all indiv unique individuals. And it can be too easy to follow a path that somebody else has blazed and say, well, this is how this will unfold for you. And you need to take these steps and do this and do this. And I've just not necessarily been interested in that. I, I'm, I am interested in taking some paths. As we've said, I, I participate in conventional Western medicine. But once I opened my mind and started the, the inward inquiry and the outward expansion, it's one of those things that it's hard to stop. It's hard to... Mm, it's really the curiosity gets a hold of you and, and you realize when, when you do access a non-ordinary state of mind through whatever method, you know, it could be pharmacologically brought on, it could be holotropic breathing, which is a combination of breath work and evocative music. And that's, before you get into that, you, and you start in with a deep relaxation and, and you're led into a deeply relaxed state. And then a little, and I don't want to go into detail here because I'm not an expert. I've experienced it, but there are experts out there. And, I, and for anybody who's curious, you can go and you can look at stangroff.org, um, I think. And you can learn about it, holotropic breathing. And you can access some of the most incredible non-ordinary states of mind that I've ever experienced through breathing and evocative music. And, oh, well, that doesn't sound that scary. It's not like dropping acid. It's not like having a yahe ceremony, which is the Colombian version of ayahuasca. It's not like smoking the toad, which we haven't even gotten to. It, because as, as, Hunter, as Hunter Thompson, uh, one, of, one of his quotes was, uh, you know, you buy the ticket, you take the ride. And if you drop a hit of acid, you've bought the ticket and you're going to take the ride. There's no, there's no out, right? There's no, there's no off ramp. And I think that that's really scary for people. And that, that same could be true for said for psilocybin experiences or holotropic, but holotropic breath work. And I shared it with a good friend of ours, Matt, and talked to him about it. And he said, oh, I kind of like the sounds of that. Cause I feel like I could get out if I needed to. And I think that's, that's part of the reason there's a whole story. You can go back and, and see how Stan Groff, who's been studying non-ordinary states of mind for 60 years. Uh, I was fortunate to be invited by some, just some wonderful, wonderful friends of mine in California who I've become friends with in the past year. That's a whole nother collection of people, the Pronoid Society and, and um, these wonderful, wonderful humans who they put together a weekend, a Stan Groff uh, holotropic breath workshop in California. And that was two, a little more than two weekends ago. And they invited me and it was a small group of people. And I was honored and privileged to be there with Stan Groff, who's 89 years old, maybe one of his last public breath work sessions. He's had a stroke, and, but he is just a gem of a man and his wife, Brigitta, and their facilitators who were just marvelous that was another, you know, we can say aha moment or pivotal moment or whatever, but yeah, that was a, another awakening of another aspect of my mind. And I, I do believe this to be true, that 
our minds are the most powerful tool that we've got, right? Like neuroscience, we know that it's just the most mysterious machine on the planet and one of the most intricate. And we use it every day and we use it in, in ways that we're very familiar with. The analytical part of our brains work really well and the fight or flight mechanisms work really well. But there are these other areas of our brain and, and these non-ordinary states of consciousness that we can access through deep meditation. We can access through just a one portal after another, after another, after another. I've said to many people, if you jump off the side of a cliff with a wingsuit on, and this goes back to, to Stephen Kotler and Stealing Fire, you can access that, that incredibly focused state of mind and you can, you can function at a very high level. But um, the mind is an incredibly powerful tool and it's not just positive thinking, it's positive action. And how do I want to see my life manifest? And when you start to realize that you actually have the ability to influence that, and now we start to get into, you can go back to tantric yogic philosophy and those guys were talking about it and figuring it out thousands of years ago. And you can come forward and, and look at Joe Dispenza and his work through, uh, and his, you know, his book becoming supernatural and connecting, you know, into the quantum physics and the quantum realm, which starts to get pretty big, <laughs> really big. And, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a proponent of going and exploring and, and we don't know what we don't know. And until we experience it ourselves, people can tell us about it, but we all know that the best experiences in life are the ones that we have whether they're good or bad. And I've just chosen to take my opportunity and my curiosity and my propensity for to push forward into my unknown. It's not necessarily somebody else's unknown. Stan Groff's been doing this stuff for 60 years and Stephen Kotler and his, and you know, they've been looking at it and, you know, I'm not the pioneer, but I am willing to listen and learn and explore and I feel like there's so much yet to explore. And again, that was the, the genesis for, uh, of ATBS, the podcast where people saying to me, Jeff, there, you're doing some things that, you know, as thriving with cancer and living your life that do you think there's any way you could share that with some people? And I thought to myself, well, who would want to, you know, who wants to hear that? And, um, you know, here we are, ATBS, the podcast, Keith Gorman, guest host. And, and this is really the first, I suspect, in what will be a series of episodes that might just be called Thriving. They might be called Thriving with Cancer, because I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, might hear those words and they're scary. And there are a lot of people, what do we, what statistics are something like one third to one half of Americans will hear those words in their lifetime. And that's a lot of people. And I've never presented myself as having the answer or the answers, but I am curious and I am willing to explore. And I've never, I've never been looking for an answer. That's never been my goal with any of these things is I didn't go to Columbia thinking that was the answer or that conventional combined immunotherapy is the answer. I think it's a big jigsaw puzzle and it's unique to everybody. It's, it's unique to each individual. And we got 7 billion of us on the planet creeping towards eight, I think. 
and we're all unique and that fascinates me no two people are walking the same path through life ever and so we know we're incredibly unique discover yourself explore what's around us be curious and if you don't know and in the program notes of this i'll put some things on the on the website and and so that people can go and look and and explore some of the things that i've explored where did I see that? And, and where did I learn that? And, and Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind, which is a wildly popular book. You know, that was part of the, that was part of the process. Actually, that's a story worth telling. Uh, Sundance film festival comes through park city every year in January and um, January of last year, 2019, um, I'd been out on a spectacular 12 or 14 day skiing road trip with our buddy, Matt Seiler and just, he, it was a very, very unique time in his life where he had opportunity to, to maybe cut loose and, and, and get out on the road with, with, um, where the situation was fluid and the agenda was open. And we, we, um, came up with the acronym SFAO, right? Awesome. Yeah. And, and we're going to have some, uh, I've already done one episode with Matt, an SFAO episode where it's just a free form conversation wherever we want to go. Right. We're not trying to cover anything in particular. But well, we got back and um, second weekend of Sundance and some great people we connected with who we've connected with in Park City at, at Sundance for years. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be invited into their circle. And I met a woman who was reading the same book. She was reading Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. And we just chatted and talked about it. And for anybody who's read it, and I imagine many a listener has, you know, he went and, and put his formidable intelligence to work on learning about psychedelic entheogenic plant medicines. And he had the experiences himself and they, many of them were guided and some of them were great and some of them weren't so great. Um, one of them was what is known as the toad or five M E O D M T. And this woman, Heather and I were talking about some of these things in the book and, and just sharing our fascination with it. And that was January, 2019. And by May, I had another road trip planned out into um, Southern California and then up through the central coast of California. I was going to start with a Qigong retreat with my friend Pedram Shojai, who is the urban monk and really taught me Qigong. And I was going out to a retreat there and then I thought I'd drive up the central coast of California and then, and then end up watching my daughter Taylor in a, in a crew race in Sacramento and then go to my favorite water skiing place and, um, and my favorite coach, Terry Winter. And it turned out that, oh, Heather had met somebody in Northern California who was guiding people into a toad experience, into a 5-MeO-DMT experience, which I scheduled an appointment and went and saw her. So tell me, why do they call it the toad? They call it the toad because um, the venom of the Sonoran Desert toad, which has a range of kind of Arizona, New Mexico, and down into Mexico maybe a little bit broader than that. The venom of the Sonoran Desert Toad has a, a very potent 5-MeO-DMT in it. Now, who decided that you should milk a toad of its venom and dry it, let it crystallize, and then smoke it? I haven't figured out who that person was um, and <laughs> why they thought that was a good idea. But and now there's a, there's, there's a synthetic version as well so that we're not milking toads and chasing toads and maybe, um, you know, causing a problem for that ecosystem. But, um, 
That's why they call it the toad. For real. For real. (laughs) (laughs) I've said that to many people. Now, what are you saying? The toad? And some would call it the God molecule. Uh, It's been called a lot of different things. But um, I heard from another now friend in California who's a guide as well. And he said something. We were talking about all these things. And he said, you know, if every other hallucinogenic or, or psychedelic plant medicine shows you a pathway... 5-MeO-DMT shows you the destination. And that experience that I had in Northern California uh, May 1st of 2019 was exceptional in that through the integration of of that experience, I lost my fear of death. And that's pretty big. That's, That's big. And I hadn't gone through my life fearing it. And I certainly hadn't gone through my life pursuing it. But when fear is gone and fear of that specifically, what the hell else do we have to be afraid of? So now you can step in. And that's, that was when I, that, that really, again, another rebirth, another awakening, significant. And I don't use those words lightly. It's happened three or four times in the past two years, two and a half years. That was a profound experience. And I've shared, you know, how that feels and how that works. And people can go and research that. And we can put some information up on the program notes. I'm not suggesting that my path, this is not, this is not a medical advice show, by the way. (laughs) I would say consult your, consult your shaman, consult your medicine people, consult your conventional doctors. And, uh, you know, build a program for yourself. I'm not saying this is the right way or that everybody has to follow this path. But I do think if we have the, um, the willingness and the interest in discovering ourselves and realizing just how integrated everything is, and in some cases, maybe, you know, how insignificant we are, then there's a whole lot less to worry about. And, you know, I did an episode with another friend of ours, Rich Hamilton. We talked about epigenetics in, in an episode pretty recently. And, you know, we have the ability to rewire and refire our brains, our neuro networks. We know that. That, I think, is reasonably well accepted. And, you know, we have the ability to affect how our genes are expressing themselves on a minute-by-minute basis. So just this conversation... Um, what we're thinking, what we're talking about, how we're carrying ourselves, what are our intentions, what do we want in our lives, and not getting balled up and not getting the the hose kind of kinked. You know, if you think of a garden hose, and when everything's free flow and going, everything feels pretty good. Well, when that garden hose gets kinked, which which can be our minds, then we start thinking about the future, and how am I going to navigate the future? Or we start thinking about the past and things that maybe we've done haven't done as well as we should, or well, we have no control over the past. We know that. It's out. It's done. And, you know, the future's in the hand of some greater power, right? It might be in the hand of God. It might be in the, in the hand of, you know, the source energy or the unified field. But it, I certainly am not in control of it. So if I can day by day, moment by moment, if I, if I know and I do know that I have some control over how my genes express themselves and... I also know personally, and I'm comfortable with this, that I am part of a much greater, monstrous, almost you know, unimaginable energy that surrounds us, 
it's in the earth, it's in the universe, it's in us. And once we start to tap in and then we kind of, then you kind of have to start going with the flow and take things as they come and, and we can reduce the amount of cortisol that we're releasing in our bodies. And we know that cortisol stress hormone is really not great for our immune system. If one is dancing with cancer, the immune system is a really important piece of the puzzle. And I have no interest in suppressing my immune system through heavy releases of cortisol. So that could be arguing, that could be worrying, that could be panicking, that could be um, you know, working yourself up into a ball, laying in bed, grinding, you know, arguing with somebody. And I much prefer to bathe myself in serotonin and melatonin. It feels good. We drop into our parasympathetic nervous system where repair and maintenance is happening, rest and repair. And, you know, if one has heard the words, I'm sorry to say you have cancer, well, I want my immune system cranking at it at, at the very highest level. And I'll find that I will seek that through any means that I can find. And so lots of these things that I've talked about, you know, that that's a big part of it, right? Just learning how to settle, learning how to get in the flow and not be afraid. So continuing on, Jeff, let's talk more about the immune system, more detail about that. You and I have talked about that, especially since your cancer has made its presence known. And, you know, I think about my immune system, everybody has an immune system. And I think you being on the front line with what you are facing, uh, you've gained a lot of knowledge and have a lot that you can share about that. Uh, so I'm very curious how you're approaching, you know, the day-to-day, -day, what you can do to have the best immune system. It's a work in progress, I can say that. I don't have all the answers. I've referenced that before, but I do know what feels good. And one thing that I have learned through practice is to be aware of when my body is producing cortisol, one of the stress hormones, and when it's not, when I start to get anxious, or if I find myself in a situation that's uncomfortable, I try and remove myself from that. So the key point there for me anyway, is to be aware of the stress hormones that suppress our immune system. And so with that said, I first and foremost sleep and getting enough sleep, enough rest in a dark room where my body is producing melatonin and there's a great rest and recovery period. And for me, that's more now than it's been in the past. You know, I can go a day or two with less than ideal sleep. I, certainly I can manage, but I do know, and I do try and go back to, you know, eight or nine hours of really, really good sleep. And that's where a lot of the work happens, where our body's just resting and recovering without us having to do anything. That's key. Secondly, I would say that staying in the flow, staying calm and becoming aware, for me, I've become aware of when my body is releasing serotonin and melatonin. And I said before that I, I try and bathe myself in those 
chemicals that our body produces on its own and an awareness of those things. What does it feel like when one is stressed? What does it feel like when one is tired? Conversely, what does it feel like when you're well rested, when you're calm, when you're in the flow and some ways to do that and, and modulate those things are through, you know, meditation and a yoga practice, a Qigong practice. And I know we've said before that in, in this episode and others, that those things can be somewhat intimidating if one hasn't practiced them, but that's why they're called practices. You know, we practice all sorts of things. You and I practice water skiing and we practice our snow skiing and you practice in the, in the workplace, you know, it's a work in progress. And so my advice to myself is try not to let perfection get in the way of good enough because we can stress ourselves by trying to do everything all the time and do it right. And so acknowledging that this life is a, an ever evolving experience and just doing the best I can while acknowledging that, oh, okay, that doesn't feel very good. So maybe I shouldn't do that because it is suppressing my immune system. And I know that, and we all can tune into those things to some, some degree. And the more often you tune into them, the more familiar you become and the more you can modulate and, and control those things and give your immune system the best opportunity to run the system and run it well, because our immune system does a great job of it. The opposite of that cortisol that we don't want is we want to raise DHEA, which is the positive hormone. And that's the positive hormone that's emitted from emotions like gratitude and laughter and being mm. present and nature and the natural surroundings and listening to music. And those are all things that you always like to do in your life, you know, having known you for a long time now. And so I'm sure that those things become even more important to you. Um, you know, it's interesting because there are those four emotions, you know, fear, anger, sadness, and happiness. And of those four emotions, you know, three of them are kind of cortisol generating and only one happiness is the DHEA generating. And that leads me to another phrase that you have hung on to, you know, ever since your diagnosis, and that's the, the carpe diem, and basically seize the day. And perhaps we could talk about that for just a moment and you could tell us how how that is perhaps one of the one of the thoughts that is frequently in your mind on a daily basis and you know really living you know one day at a time yeah it's it is something that i try and live by i think it's a it's a very simple idea it's very it can be quite challenging to you know really to to live one day at a time and to put forth the best version of ourselves in, in each and every day. I was actually having a conversation with a very good friend of mine this morning about just that, you know, what does that, what does that mean? And we were actually talking about cancer. He's known me a long time and he was saying that, you know, he fields a lot of questions from um, some mutual friends that we have and they ask, you know, how's Jeff doing? And we went through a long conversation about how to answer that question. And then that led into, you know, how do I conduct myself on a daily basis? And so what that means to me is different from one day to the next, you know, these right now, 
ATBS is a is a big part of my days, and it gives me a tremendous amount of. I vacillate between confidence and and you know not really fear, but the unknown. Every day, I try and do enough things that are good for me, that feel good. You know, listening to music, laughing, having a great conversation, connecting with people in my life. As we know, I think there are plenty of studies out there that you know, relationships matter. And it's one of the reasons when, you know, the elderly get isolated, you know, things get really tough for them. So reaching out to people, having great conversations, in some ways, realizing, and and I say this with absolute humility, that in some ways, I inspire people and friends and, and people that I know. And I've talked to a fair number of people that have been diagnosed with cancer since I was back in 2016. And, you know, if we can raise other people up and we can inspire and we can encourage, you know, that comes back to us tenfold. And so I try and do a little bit of that every day and, and you know, communicate with people and do my best to lift them up and encourage them. And it's not just people with cancer. It's, you know, everybody I know that, you know, I'm appreciative of the relationships you know, I try and get some exercise. I practice yoga three or four times a week. I meditate when I can. You know, I take a pretty healthy dose of of supplements that, you know, have been prescribed by a naturopathic oncologist. And, you know, we've covered a lot of the things that I do. So I just try and do as much as I can for myself. And then, and then at the same time, whatever I can do for others. I think giving, as we know, you know, giving feels wonderful. I think it releases all kinds of good, great things in our bodies. And that could just be giving a kind ear that could be having a, a conversation with a real intent to understand. And, and that means listening, you know, being a good listener, you know, so I try and do all those things. I try and learn new things as well. I, I, I research and, you know, I'm not constantly looking for answers to a cancer puzzle, but I do keep my eyes open and I do read a lot of different things. And, you know, so I try and educate myself. And again, I try not to let perfection get in the way of good enough. Seize the day, do the best you can. You know, when you go to bed, feel like you've put it out there and, and brought a good version of yourself to the party and, and, and not beat yourself up for something that you didn't check off your list because it'll be there tomorrow. And then you can, you can get right back at it. Well, Jeff, this has really been fantastic information, and it's really been a pleasure to be your guest on all things big and small, and really fun to be able to turn the tables. I know that you're speaking to most of your guests and posing the questions, um, and I appreciate you responding to my questions, and it's, uh, it's wonderful to have an open mind. It's wonderful to, you know, live live your life the way that's working for you. Uh, it's wonderful to have individualism. And it's wonderful to have our friendships. I wish you well and, and that you continue on in Carpeum fashion. I appreciate it, Keith. I got a big smile on my face and that's, you know, that's half the battle in life, I think is, you know, hearing great things. And those are all very kind words. I appreciate you taking the seat of host on ATBS, the podcast. I, I couldn't ask for anybody better to do it. I hope we can revisit it along the way. And I sure look forward to our next conversation, Keith. I always do. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Jeff. 
Thank you for listening to part two of Thriving with guest host Keith Gorman. I am grateful to Keith for his friendship and stepping into the podship and the guest host seat. I'm also grateful to you, the listeners, for joining me. And we will continue to bring you the very best in conversations that we can come up with. Hopefully turn some lights on to subjects that people may or may not be familiar with and create some curiosity, have some fun doing it, and do so in a non-dogmatic, non-judgmental fashion. Thanks for your support. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.